So how was your week, Ben Adam? Oh, solid. Uh, Excellent. Uh, I got to give a shout out to a- Andrea at Emergency Dental Roseville. She's going to start listening to the show. We've had Ooh. about 15 conversations in my two visits about <laughs> synchronicities, 37th parallel. Jesus, you're getting all up aliens. in Aliens. You know what's great about the medical community? They're all weird, and I love it. Definitely. You expected <laughs> them you expect them to be people of science, but mm. uh, I'll tell you what. They're they're just as freaky as the rest of us people. You know, I, we love that. Mm-hmm. So go okay, to your did dentist. You, did you forewarn her? We're maybe a little randy. Uh, rowdy, I think she wild. got the impression. Okay. Just from me in general. I was going to say, yeah, you definitely give off that aura yeah. a little bit. So yeah. I don't think <laughs> you had to. Yeah, I just didn't swear as much. I told my handicapped people with handicapped faces story. I, I've told it on here before when I was in kindergarten. We were asked what uh, we were asked what our favorite things were and our teacher would draw them. So during my one-on-one I said my favorite thing was handicapped people with handicapped faces because that was part of a comedy routine that my brothers had on VHS and they would watch it all the time and it always got laughs so I was just went for it I didn't know what a handicapped person was or a handicapped face and so, and they talked to my mother my teacher obviously called my mother yeah yeah and uh what is my mom gonna do except laugh I, I wasn't trying to be mean about it or anything i just knew it got a reaction a funny this, positive reaction every time somebody said it this brings up a good point parents who their kids act like shits right i have a feeling when the parent and the teachers talk they kind of laugh and be like you fucking this fucking dumb shit mm-hmm. did this or that but you have to discipline them yeah. right so I imagine that happens. I don't know for sure, but I would, you know, I would assume maybe it does, right? Maybe. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't mean nothing by mm. it. So were you saying these are home videos your brothers made? No, no, no. There's a comedy routine, like a like a stand up. Oh, stand up okay. comic that they had on VHS, and like they would Jeff, watch it. Like Jeff Dunham. Yeah, like the King Jeffrey Dunham. <laughs> yeah, and his ra- and his not racist puppets. <laughs> Fuck you, Jeff Dunham. Get get a fucking life. You already have one. You're super rich. Mm. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? It's me, Adam. Ooh. Sitting across from me, observer is Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. How was your week? Ooh. So, obviously, you had work. Everybody has work. I This is my week off from the podcast, so I have been playing way too much Resident Evil 8. I don't Are even you want... doing the Chaos Run now, or the whatever? I did that. Uh, Village of Shadows is the hardest difficulty. That's edgy. And let me just say... What was the other one? Madhouse? Madhouse, Madhouse. yeah. I'd say it's like twice as hard as fucking Madhouse. So. Wow. And I've already heard of Resi 8 is a mm. much harder game than Resi mm-hmm. 7. I have beaten it three times now. Good. Yeah. What's your completion percent or like uh, uh, trophy percent? Uh, 80, 70 to 80% somewhere in there. Are you are you on your way to Platinum Trophy Town? I, I'm getting there. I haven't touched the Mercenary mode. Which is oh, uh, it has one. Yeah, remember oh. from like RE4. Yeah, well, yeah, and five. Yeah, yeah, it has one of them. I haven't really messed with it yet. I've been yeah. I did like the speed run thing. I have to do yeah. I basically just have to speed run some stuff. Resi five mm. is the better mercenary mode than four, but four is still good. Dude, that's so great that they have one in this because mm. those are fun. Just not the standalone Resident Evil Mercenaries titles. Those are trash. <laughs> 
Those are I've been, trash. I've been talking with our boy Stiglitz about it. We were speculating about where the story's going to go, and we I think we know. We think oh, we know where the story's going to go In the DLC? Now. I hope so. That's what they did with uh, yeah, 7. Yeah. Well, so I would imagine that's what they'll do with 8. I wonder what the anime's going to be about that Stiglitz oh, was telling me about, the Resident that's Evil. That's RE2. Oh, they're doing Resident Evil 2 anime? It's Claire and Leon, oh, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It, it might... Okay, if I remember, I don't know for sure. I think it might be post-Resident Evil 2 pre-storyline yeah pre-four pre-four because yeah. three is on a different timeline yeah three is like happening while resident evil 2 is happening yeah so like jill gets to the police station right after leon and claire are leaving it basically so you're about to be a jill sandwich <laughs> dude i saw something it popped up on my youtube feed this russian guy made a mod for re3 remake and it's literally Jill naked with like little mud on her body, and they like made her ass huge, so it jiggles a whole bunch. Hmm. And he sounds Russian to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have the bar where she's climbing through the vents, and you see like from her feet forward, oh. and then he's trying to like zoom in on her crotch. Oh. I'm just like, my kids, there's Pathetic. Por- there's porn of plenty. One click away. <laughs> yeah. One click away to a real lady. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just funny who goes out of their way to make this stuff. I know. They should have made her like put bread on both sides of her body and made her a Jill sandwich. There now, you that would have been good. I maybe that's a secret fetish community you've just unlocked there. Sandwich community? The sandwich fat? <laughs> the Resident Evil characters yeah. in a sandwich. Yeah. You're almost a Jill sandwich. That's <laughs> so stupid. What a dumb line. Great job translation <laughs> team. All right, you want to get started? Let's do it. Kelly, 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 mm. Kelly, 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 Kelly. Official research assistant on the website. Yeah. She brought this to my attention and did, uh, God, the heavy lifting, I would say. she. I, can I point out something, though? Mm? I think we might be destroying her because she posted that she's only writ- read one book in the past six months, and that might be our oh. fault. Oh, that oh. we are taking away oh, from yeah. her no, reading I'm her pu- books. I'm pushing her way too hard. Yeah. 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 You got to put her on the payroll soon. You're telling me. <laughs> Once <laughs> I get we... on there, then yeah. we can put her on Look, there. Kelly, we don't get paid. <laughs> she knows. You'll she, get, she fucking knows. You'll get paid when we get paid. I've told her that 12 times now. <laughs> said, you're getting paid. you'll get paid hopefully before I get paid, Kelly. <laughs> you're employee number one to me. And I'm employee number three. Thank you, Kelly. Here we go. Sunday, March 20th, 1927. In Queens Village on Long Island. You see, Queens was too rough and tumble. Mm. So people, they made a little suburb called Queens Village, okay? Okay, all right. And this is in U.S. of A. This is in New York. Okay, all right. On the corner of 222nd Street and 93rd Road stood a house exactly like all the other cookie cutters, with the one exception being this one was salmon pink and had light blue window shutters. At 7.45 a.m. in the house next door, Mrs. Harriet Mulhauser was shocked awake by her phone ringing. It was her nine-year-old neighbor, Lorraine Snyder. Come over here quick. Mama is very sick. Mrs. Mulhauser burst through her neighbor's front door and, hearing loud moans coming from the floor above, took the stairs two at a time. She found Mrs. Ruth Snyder sprawled on top of the landing. The pretty young mother, Ruth, was tied up loosely with clothesline, but only her feet. Lying next to her was another piece of rope and a loosened gag. My God, Ruth, what happened? 
Ruth could only explain that she'd taken an awful whack to the head. Mm. Mrs. Mullenhauser sent nine-year-old Lorraine over to wait at her house while she first called her husband Louis, and then the nearest police box. Mm, we need more police boxes. Yeah, because I was just watching an L.A. To, LA Noir <laughs> uh, run-through, or Let's Play. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. man, they, it looks so fun. I don't remember. Do you like that game or hate that game? I love that game. Okay. I do. I do. All right. I think it was ahead of its time for sure, and it definitely looks terrible compared to how I remember <laughs> how amazing it looked. Yeah. Okay, so with, I'm assuming they had pay phones, then police boxes, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Louis Mulhauser was first on the scene and went looking for Ruth's husband, Albert Snyder, in the master bedroom. Mulhauser padded a pile of sheets and blankets lying near the couple's twin bed and felt something hard underneath. Pulling back the bedding, Louis uncovered Albert's body, hands tied behind his back with a towel, and ankles tied with a red and yellow striped necktie. Okay, now either this guy is into some weird shit or this is a dead body. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, if you were Louis Mulhauser, I think you would have uh, uh, been a great detective, despite you're just <laughs> the, a neighbor's husband. <laughs> I don't know why, after you said he felt something hard underneath, I was just picturing it's like a, a boner. D- I was like, <laughs> Willie, do you got a morning wood again? Dad, quit touching my dick. <laughs> God damn it, Albert. <laughs> Albert Snyder was face down with his head stuffed into a pillow, which was soaked through with blood. Around his neck, dug deep to his flesh, was a length of picture wire, which was cinched at the back. Next to the body was a revolver broken open to be loaded. Mm. Mr. Mulhauser emerged from the bedroom and whispered to his wife that Albert was dead. They called another neighbor over to help carry Ruth into Lorraine's bedroom and tried to get her to sleep. They didn't mention Mr. Snyder, nor did Ruth ask. Okay, so did he, he just went in the bed. He's dead. Like, what? couldn't he just be like, he's dead? Well, why would he want to upset Ruth? I mean, I would assume in a frantic she, you're trying thing. To keep, you're trying to keep the wife that's been tied up. You're trying to keep her calm. Mm. You want to keep her under control until the police arrive. I want to know how many dead bodies this guy's seen where he's just like cool and collective. He's just like, Albert's dead. It's the 20s. Maybe he took a turn through a <laughs> tuberculosis ward he or could something. Have. It's just he piles of dead bodies. <laughs> A nearby Dr. Harry Hansen was called to look Ruth over and tend to her head wound. After a thorough examination, there was no evidence found of the supposed terrific whack to the head, and he told her that there was no way the headache she was complaining of was from an injury. Thinking quickly, she said, Well, it must have been from lying on the cold floor so long. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's easy to confuse with concussive head trauma. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I know some people who make up injuries who would say something like that, yeah. but uh, I, maybe Ruth's like that. Maybe that's her way of getting out of work. Well, I was well, laying on the cold floor all night and I have a head trauma. I was now. tied up on the floor and now my <laughs> brain's broken. What would happen if you called to your boss and said that? Uh, hopefully you'd be fired, you know? <laughs> I can't come in. Because that's what you're looking for anyway. I can't, be, I can't come to work. My head's split open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Patrolman Trucker and Schultes were the first official investigators to respond. Their immediate conclusion was burglary with a side of violence. Only a week previous, there had been reports of a suspicious character prowling around the property at night. Detectives Frank Hayner and Harry Krause from the Jamaica Precinct House arrived at the Snyder home at 8.10 a.m. and questioned Ruth for five minutes before examining the scene. 
Still, no one told her about her husband, and still, she did not ask. I feel like she'd be a little curious what happened to him. Hey, where's Al? Where's <laughs> Al? You know, after this whole uh, uh, intruder alert. I hope he didn't die of hypothermia from the cold floor like Luther must have. <laughs> <laughs> the ambulance arrived with physician Vincent Juster. He declared Albert Snyder dead for at least six hours, and when he examined Ruth, he also couldn't find head trauma that would have knocked her unconscious, and she seemed entirely Mm, coherent. A little fishy. These kind of murders were not supposed to happen in the idyllic little town of Queens Village, and by the end of the hour, it was the highest priority case across the entire NYPD. By 10 a.m., Deputy Commissioner James Leach was on the scene with 60 of his best detectives from Queens and Manhattan crawling over every square inch of the house. Doesn't that seem like a bit too many detectives? That seems like way too many detectives. (laughs) When I was reading this and writing this, it was, uh, I pictured them like old school detectives, like actually crawling with like a magnifying glass all over the house. How big is this house thing? It fits 60 detectives in there. Not big enough. Not Jesus. big enough. I mean, they are all over the yard, the garage, the house, the roof, it seems like. God damn, that's like nuts to butts in that fucking house. I don't know. It just, unless they're like really short detectives, they just get in like, like Lego people. They just stack on top of each other. I don't know. I'm wondering if this is how, we've covered a few cases from back in the old days, and this is 1927 here. It seems like cops would just show up for the spectacle. Like yeah. They just wanted to be involved. I mean, somehow. they're just as curious as everyone else. And they have official badges <laughs> that'll let them actually be curious. How many O'Leary's, uh, what percentage of O'Leary's were those detectives right there? Oh, God. New York, <laughs> 1927. Yeah. They're all potato bugs. <laughs> Dr. Howard Neal of the New York Medical Examiner's Office the highest-ranking forensic pathologist in Queens County, was summoned to examine the body. There was an inch-long and quarter-inch-wide gash on the right side of Albert's head near the forehead. It was a nasty bleeder of a wound, but ultimately it was superficial, like most face cuts. Mm. They just piss blood. Mm. Just below it was another small cut, and on the back of the head there was a large abrasion. Assorted small cuts on both sides of the neck and a nasty gouge on the left side of the nose. Okay, so nothing... It would be like the kill uh, hit there. That's on his neck, where the picture wires dug in. (laughs) When Dr. Neal turned the body of Albert Snyder over, it was not pretty. His face was swollen and blue from strangulation. There was a cotton rag coming coming out from his mouth and shoved down his throat. They said it looked like he was throwing up a cotton rag. And on the pillow was a blue and white bandana that absolutely reeked of chloroform. Okay, that's... A little suspicious there. <laughs> and also, Henry, or James Y. Simpson makes another appearance here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the first man to, uh, uh, whatever it's called, He's chloroform. Invented, he invented yeah. chloroform. To, what is it called when you make a new chemical? I can't remember. Uh, warlock. But it's acid and alcohol, I know that much. Mm. The thirty-eight revolver that was found near the body had three live rounds loaded, and there were three more rounds on the floor. A leather holster stuck out from under... Albert's pillow. Ever since the prowler was spotted, he had been sleeping with a gun. Underneath his body, near the shoulder blades, there was another piece of picture wire with a gold pencil clip to it. Mm. Is that like a normal pencil? 
That's uh, our uh, normal pencils are yellow, right? Yeah. And the hell's this a is, gold pencil? I don't know. At first, I thought maybe this is like a calling card situation. Like is this somebody? Like if if you buy like your kids the death's head moth inside of the girls in Silence of the Lambs. Ah, I thought maybe it was like if if you were to buy kids buy pencils, right? You buy packs of pencils. And if you find a golden pencil, you get to take your... I got the golden pencil. You get a <laughs> tour of... You get to take of... all your bedridden grandparents <laughs> to the Sharpie pencil factory or whatever. <laughs> the forensic pathologist also checked Ruth for signs of a physical blow and became the third doctor to notice that there was no reason other than fright for a person like her to be unconscious for as long as she claimed mm, to be. He, do, he doesn't know about cold floor syndrome yet. <laughs> it is 1927. It's, kill, it's killed more. If she had life alert, she wouldn't have been on that cold floor getting it, a headache. It wasn't until Reagan took office that <laughs> we started learning about cold floor syndrome. So, <laughs> When one of the detectives told Dr. Neal that Ruth claimed to be unconscious for over five hours, he simply laughed in his face. Yeah, it's called a nap. <laughs> <laughs> her wrist didn't have the telltale markings of someone who had broken free from restraint, and her body didn't have the bruising from laying on the floor for five hours. Mm. Nine-year-old Lorraine was being looked after by the Mulhauser's teenage daughter during all of this, and her statement was interesting to say the least. The night before, Albert and Ruth went to a block party in the neighborhood of Hollis, not that far away. Usually, Lorraine would be left with Ruth's mother, who lived with them, but Grandma Brown was away on a nursing job. Prohibition was in full effect, and these block parties turned into highball chugging parties about halfway through, and everybody loved getting shithoused. Mm -hmm. The three of them returned home at 2 a.m., and Lorraine was immediately put down to bed and fell asleep until she was awakened by noises in the hallway. Leaving her bed, she found her mom tied up at the top of the stairs, who told her to hurry up and call Mrs. Mulhauser. The NYPD commissioner walked into the house and sought out Ruth, who was being tended to gingerly by Mrs. Mulhauser in Lorraine's room. Before he could get there, however, he was intercepted by a detective who passed along the concern that Ruth hadn't even asked about her husband. Something was fishy here. The commissioner briskly walked in the room and said, Did you know your husband has been injured? Has he really? Yes, I'm sorry. We just received word he's dead. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a call coming. Actually, he's dead. Yeah, he's he's been dead for a while. He's he's, he's fishing for a reaction. Obviously, the <laughs> yeah. commissioner. Yeah. According to Commissioner McLaughlin, she shed a few tears for about a minute before quote unquote pulling herself together. Mm. Mrs. Snyder's story started similar to her daughter's. Albert, Ruth, and Lorraine Snyder, a happy family, returned from the block party at 2 a.m. and immediately put Lorraine to bed. For the next five minutes, the front door was left open while Albert went out and parked the car. Then the couple went to bed, drunk and exhausted. I think the... So, I'm just like, they drove home shit-faced. Yes. Was, was it le is illegal no. yet? No, you can't drive wasted. <laughs> No, you cannot. Even in 19... What is this? 27, yeah. because alcohol was illegal at the time as well. <laughs> well, how did they know you're drunk? Yeah. You just... Well, because you can light their breath on fire from the... You can just be like, officer, I was laying on the cold floor with my <laughs> husband, and we're just fucked up. You got head trauma. <laughs> <laughs> 
A few minutes later, Ruth thought she heard her daughter in the hallway and went out to check. When she passed Grandma Brown's room, a large, swarthy, Italian-looking man with a black mustache popped out and grabbed her. It's me! (laughs) Then came the blow to the head that supposedly left her unconscious for five hours. When she was finally able to free her hands and remove her gag, she called for Lorraine. Mm, he got that that hammer power up. The house had been basically flipped upside down. Every drawer was pulled out of every cabinet. All the sofa cushions were taken off the couch, and all even all the pots and pans were scattered around the kitchen. In the dining room, there was a bottle of whiskey with a full glass next to it and a half-smoked cigarette in the ashtray. Mr. Snyder smoked cigars, and Mrs. Snyder didn't smoke at all. Wow, okay, that's weird for a woman of this time period, right? I know, I know. She needs to be smoking. Should be having filterless lucky strikes all day long. (laughs) So are are they implying that Mario was smoking the cigarettes with the whiskey? Yeah, that this was like his little... Another calling card, I guess, yeah, mm. where he, he would have a, a whiskey. You know how Ramirez would have a drink or yeah. eat a yogurt after <laughs> killing people? Right? That you was Ramirez, right? and yeah. Yeah. Detectives knew this was a staged crime scene right off the bat. They found Albert's watch in the bedroom with the platinum chain still attached. If this were a robbery, they would have taken more than just the money from Albert's wallet. They always forget about the platinum chain, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and the beautiful gold pocket watch. <laughs> The thoroughness of the ransacking was also extremely suspicious. Everyone knows when you burgle a house, the clock is ticking, and home invaders usually know what they're looking for and have an idea where it's hidden. No thief in the history of burglary would turn over all the couch cushions and throw around pots and pans in the kitchen. Hey, there could be money under them couch cushions. There could be. You usually find couple, 85 cents couple, under there. You can get a yoo-hoo. <laughs> Why was Lorraine's room the only one in the house completely undisturbed? Who carries chloroform and picture wire with them to a burglary? If Ruth Snyder knew her husband slept with a loaded gun under his pillow, why didn't she cry out when she was supposedly grabbed Mm, by Mario? Good question. Mrs. Snyder tried evading questions and over-explaining other answers. When investigators asked her about the bottle of whiskey, Ruth said the only booze they kept in the house was a small flask of brandy for medical purposes. But detectives found a fully stocked liquor closet. (laughs) She also claimed $200 worth of jewelry had been stolen, but the next day detectives found the quote-unquote stolen jewelry wrapped in a cloth and shoved in the corner of her mattress. 1927. 200, or I'm sorry, what do you think, $200 of liquor? But uh, (laughs) yeah, a fully stocked liquor closet. (laughs) How much jail time would that get you? I don't even know. Hmm. I don't even know. But I'm sure you would would wouldn't be getting away scot-free. Hmm. The pillowcase on her side of the bed was freshly changed and never slept on, and police found a blood-stained pillowcase in the dirty clothes basket in the basement. There was a small notepad with names and addresses in it, and when she was questioned about the name, she became very flustered and fidgety when the name H. Judd Gray of 37 Wayne Avenue, East Orange, New Jersey, came up. This name became even more interesting when a pin bearing the initials J.G., was found on the floor of the master bedroom, and several voided checks were found made out to one H. Judd Gray. Do you think this is what J.G. Wentworth stands for? If Judd you, Gray a, Wentworth? D- 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 call <laughs> Judd Gray Wentworth. It's my money and I need it now. Hell yeah. Okay, so clearly this lady's terrible 
at staging a crime. Yeah, it's like she she watched all the mm. shitty documentaries and decided <laughs> I could I could probably do that. If only they had TV to watch, so she so, didn't learn anything. Yeah, she was just reading the pulp the pulp novels. <laughs> it said she was completely obsessed with those melodramas and, really? and pulp novels. Yeah, they did a lot of crime apparently. That or they're just doing it. Or they're just saying it to, like, scare people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I kind mm-hmm. of got that impression, like, they're reading true crime books. Mm-hmm. They must be killing people. Mm-hmm. They're playing Grand Theft Auto. They must mm. be shooting up their school. <laughs> also found in the house were several canceled checks to Prudential Life Insurance. Ooh. Asked about her husband's insurance, Ruth qu- thought quickly and lied. $1,000. When detectives put the checks in front of her, she said, Well, it was for a thousand, but now I think it's for twenty five thousand. It's actually for fifty thousand with double indemnity, which means that if he dies under suspicious circumstances, she gets a hundred thousand. Kid is do they still have that coverage? I'm not sure hmm. even. But I know prudential life insurance is still a real thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm assuming they uh have kind of locked up that, that scam quite hard. Yeah. Oh, we'll see how scammy it gets a little later on. (laughs) From the mouth of babes, once again, Lorraine came through in the way only children can, saying that mom and dad would get in screaming matches because mom would stay out with her friends all night long. Neighbors corroborated this, saying Ruth would often come home in the early morning hours by taxi, and then the couple would start loudly bickering, like a neighborhood alarm Mm. clock. Well, at least she's not drinking and driving. It's like the whistles go, woo! You remember that video? Uh-uh. Oh, man, you suck. Is that for It's like domestic... an alarm clock. <laughs> Whistle tips on oh, your exhaust. Those are terrible. Yeah. Well, watch that old-ass video. Okay, I need to. Police asked Ruth who was keeping her out all night, and she snapped back. That's none of your business. And when detectives told her they didn't think this was a real burglary, Ruth quickly asked, What do you mean? How could you tell? Idiot. The detective with the patience of a saint replied, We see a lot of burglaries. They ain't done this way. (laughs) (laughs) This is the worst burglar in history or something's fishy here. Although, I wouldn't take Mario for being a very efficient burglar, to be honest with you. Yeah. And he's probably not good at that either. He's (laughs) he's good at jumping on people. Well, we know this Italian man came in and robbed your house, but... Would he have left your toilet clogged as well, Ruth? That something mm, seems fishy yeah. there. He would have unclogged that toilet. Yeah. You know he would have replaced that S Ben. <laughs> at five PM, Mrs. Snyder was asked to accompany detectives to the precinct at Jamaica and Flushing Avenues to keep the interview going. Ruth claimed she was too sick and snuggled up tighter under the covers. When they insisted, she hopped up in a fit of rage, throwing her blanket across the room and getting dressed right in front of her embarrassed questioners. Ooh, you know what? Actually, this brings up a good point, Adam. Why do the elderly, I remember my grandma doing this, when she would get upset, throw the blanket up, cover in the blanket and say, I'm cold or something like that. I sure. always remember my grandma doing that. Sure. I don't know if that's a old person defense mechanism or what well she ruth did the opposite she <laughs> threw it off of her okay if you're suspecting an old person committing a crime maybe you should just set a nice quilt like right next to him then start asking him questions if they put that quilt on they're done they're guilty they're the golden state killer <laughs> lock them up <laughs> also at 5 p.m detectives had rounded up all the members of the previous night's block party the couple playing host were the Fidgens, Walter and his wife Serena. 
The guests agreed that Ruth Snyder always behaved affectionately to her husband, and the couple had no public falling outs. The Fidgens? I, I'm sorry, you cannot be named the Fidgens, come on. It's, isn't that a bird or something? I don't know, it sounds like a special needs pigeon, I don't know. Yes, it does. I mean, that sounds horrible to say, but I don't know. Or well, like a pigeon made out of... It the hardest. A pigeon made out of... Fig Newtons. Fig Newtons, yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> Everyone was getting wasted off ginger ale highballs at the party. Hell yeah. Everyone, that is, except for Ruth Snyder, who was encouraging Al to get blackout drunk. This was unusual. As every other party, she'd be the first one wasted. At one point in the night, she was overheard saying, None for me, thanks. I don't feel so well. Give Al my share. Another guest offered her a drink, and she declined, saying she was menstruating. Ah. But they should definitely give all the drinks they wanted her to drink to her husband (laughs) you can't drink when you're menstruating she has a lot of problems starting (laughs) when she is a child as far as like her guts and stuff go so she's okay she's in her periods are brutal okay at 8 p.m sunday commissioner mclaughlin went back to the snyder house to see what his detectives had come up with he learned that there was absolutely no sign of forced entry Mrs. Snyder helpfully put forward that the burglars must have pushed the back door key out of the lock from outside with a stick and used a skeleton key to open the door. To her credit, the key was found on the kitchen floor, but it was three feet away from the back door. Mm. Detectives tried to recreate this by running two experiments. First, they placed the key loosely in the lock and slammed the door. And second, he he recreated the stick pushing the key out from the outside, Both resulted in the key falling out, but straight down to the floor. The only conclusion was the key was planted where it was found. Gotcha. Okay, this sounds like a fun day at the office here, though. Yeah, I would love to do that. Setting up little key experiments? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. McLaughlin took this discovery with him back to the Jamaica precinct house. Because Queens DA Richard Newcomb was out of town, Mrs. Snyder was being questioned by ADAs Thomas Thornton and Peter Daly in the captain's office. McLaughlin joined them and told Mrs. Snyder in no uncertain terms that her robbery story did not happen and she'd need to tell them exactly what did. She told the same story, this time adding another piece, admitting that her and her husband had been on pretty bad terms for a few years now. When McLaughlin asked Ruth if she had ever stayed out all night, she admitted that she did, and when she did, she'd stay at her cousin Ethel Anderson's house. Mrs. Anderson was the wife of patrolman Edward Pearson of the 23rd Precinct in the Bronx. He was called in for questioning and mentioned a list of associates of Ruth, one of them being H. Judd Gray. You know Ethel Anderson gets tore the fuck up when you go to her house. Oh, that old gosh darn Norwegian broad, yeah. Oh, is yeah. Ethel Norwegian? I don't know, but Anderson certainly is. <laughs> you know, Ethel's doing coke off the fucking urinal toilets and everything. Gross. Can- <laughs> why is she? Why is she near a urinal anyway? That's how fucked up. That's she is. how hardcore she is. Yeah. She ha- she can't do it in the ladies' room. She's got to go in the men's Gross. room. Gross. I would never do cocaine off a urinal. Why? It gets cleaned every day. Like, the back day. of a toilet makes sense. The back of a toilet tank makes sense. But a okay. urinal... Do you pee up on top of the urinal? No, but I can't... Tr- I don't trust anyone. <laughs> I've I've gone into urinals and seen pee four feet away from the urinal. Right. Well, that's just because it's an asshole, probably. Oh, I don't know. You know Either those... Vi- or- 
You know those videos where you see, like, kids who think they're funny by, like, pissing all over everything in a bathroom? What dicks. I don't think I've seen those. I don't think I've seen those videos. Yeah, there's some of, like, kids who, like, pee all over the toilet paper and all over the toilet. And, what like, is it, TikTok? Yeah, probably something like that. I don't got no TikTok. <laughs> get on TikTok. No. You can follow Ethel Anderson. Watch her get tore up. Watch her get to- torn up from the floor. Uh-huh. That's why her husband, the cop, had to leave her. She was too fucking crazy, Ooh. man. Oh, yeah, that, that patrolman. Estranged husband of Ethel Anderson. Ooh. I forgot to put that in there. Okay. That's why he's pretty fine with rolling over on her cousin's <laughs> cousin. <laughs> McLaughlin wrote down the name and brought the paper to Ruth. Mrs. Snyder, your story is all balled up and full of lies. Why don't you just come clean and get it all off your chest? He held out the paper. Is this man, H. Judd Gray, the one who killed your husband? Immediately. He did it. Ruth, I'm going down the hall to the captain's office. When you're ready, come on down and tell us the truth. <laughs> Why does he want her to come on down and tell uh, the truth? It's funny. I don't know. Maybe it's just like, uh, 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 you know, make her come to them with her hat in her hands. You know what I mean? Mm, it's a mental trick they're trying to pull on. It's her all ass. trickery. They're, gotcha. They think they're Jedis, but they're, they're stupid civil servants for the most part. <laughs> Two minutes later, Mrs. Snyder entered the office, drying her eyes with a handkerchief and apologized for not being truthful from the beginning. She could see she was sinking deeper and deeper into trouble, and Gray was the one who killed her husband. She gave them his location at the Hotel Onondaga in Syracuse at 1.47 a.m. Monday morning. By 2.33 a.m., Syracuse PD detectives were knocking at the door of room 743. A thin man in his tidy whities and specs opened up the door. Mr. Gray? Yes? They want you down in New York for a homicide. What's that mean? Murder. (laughs) Gentlemen, are you sure you're the only thing I've murdered? Is a bottle of booze from time to time. The great banter didn't help. He was going to have to go with the detectives. He was put in the general holding cell for about 16 hours before he was finally assigned a cell. Just when he was all settled in, they grabbed him and took him to interrogation by Syracuse PD Police Chief Martin Caden. Gray wasn't intimidated easily and maintained his cool. They were really pushing him for a sworn statement, and he would give them this and only this. He was 34, married, and lived with his wife and child at 37 Wayne Ave in East Orange, New Jersey. He was the New York sales rep for the Benjamin and Jones Company, who dealt in corsets and other ladies' underwear, and he'd been away from home for the last two weeks running his upstate route. Ruth had been a friend for about two years. He had never met Mr. Snyder and certainly didn't kill him. The last time he saw Ruth was February or March when he had dinner with her and her daughter Lorraine. Um, does it seem weird you're going out to dinner with her? Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, she's married with a child, and he's an underwear salesman. (laughs) But actually, that is kind of part of the part of the charm of the traveling underwear salesman is kind of wine and dine. You know, he's a door. Is he a door to door underwear salesman? Technically, sales rep. So he deals to uh, uh, retail outlets. You know, he's a wholesaler. Do you think he goes in wearing? The underwear yeah. and like, presents it for yeah. him. There's no other way to feel pretty and confident unless Here's you're wearing th- a woman's if, underwear. If he had all these beautiful underwear, why was he wearing tidy whities That's the real question. It's like, why does a mechanic's car never work? True. They're just, uh, True. Uh, they're, they use the shittiest things <laughs> because they hate dealing with underwear. 
That is, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Why do mechanics always have shit cars? Yeah, that's exactly why. Never have a nice one. They don't want to fucking work on cars. They do that all day long. Mm. Can you imagine if a doctor had, like, extremely poor health? Don't they? Uh, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people who take care of themselves. <laughs> yeah. The rest of his story, for the time being, was unsinkable. He'd had dinner with his friend, checked into the Hotel Onondaga, and stopped into the Elks Club twice for drinks. His friend corroborated the dinner, hotel staff confirmed seeing him, and bartenders and patrons remembered him fondly from the Elk. Detectives from Jamaica Precinct were on their way up to Syracuse to collect Gray, and a ticket was purchased for the 5.30 train. Until they got there, however, to officially arrest and charge Gray with homicide, Syracuse PD would keep grilling him. Gray stuck to his story the whole time. Investigators measured his hand size and saw they roughly matched the marks on Albert's oh. neck. You know we have prints all over the house, right? Not mine. I guarantee that. They kept pressing, saying Mrs. Snyder already told them the whole story. How else would they know where to find him and who he was otherwise? Cool as the other side of the pillow, <laughs> Gray responded. I have made a statement to your chief of police and signed an affidavit. I have nothing left to say. Ooh, he is... You can't put an underwear salesman in a corner. Oh, no. Mr. Officer, you He's got those gonna... lacy panties on mm. keeping his balls cool <laughs> as I, as the other side of the pillow. I stole that from the guy from uh, ESPN. Cool as the other side of the pillow? Yeah, the dead guy. Scott Stewart. Mm. Stewart Scott. I thought you were going to say as cool as that floor that gave Ruth a headache. That <laughs> gave her a terrible head wound that, that might doesn't be, exist. That might be too cold. That <laughs> yeah, might be yeah. too cold. Yeah, that's borderline It's probably like the Wilds hockey rink right now. That's how cold that fucking Zero road. degrees on ice level. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what they have to keep it. That's how cold the floor was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Since they finally hit a brick wall with Gray, the Crime Stoppers moved on to the hotel staff. The chief housekeeper, upon hearing the occupant of room 743 had been arrested in the middle of the night on a murder charge, took his wastebasket and locked it in a cupboard where she kept her cleaning supplies. They sorted through the trash and found a note written to Bud on hotel stationery that said, Perfect. Call me when you're ready. Additionally, there were two business letters, an envelope addressed to H. Judd Gray and bearing a flushing Jamaica postmark from 9 a.m., <laughs> which is obviously where Ruth lives, mm. and uh, a Long Island railway schedule, cigarette butts, matches, and a nail. Lastly, torn up but easily reassembled, was a ticket stub for the 8.45 a.m. New York City to Syracuse train. With that discovery, Gray's story was completely shredded. Okay, this guy is a complete fucking idiot. Yeah, oh yeah. I imagine there's a toilet. Flush it down the toilet, you moron. Did they have toilets in 27? They probably did. Yeah, they yeah. probably had something. Yeah. Well, he had matches. Yeah, burn, burn it. <laughs> Seriously. You moron. It turns into ashes. They can't do anything about it. <laughs> they can't, re yeah, you can't reassemble ashes. I mean, that completely took his story. They they, they had him at a stone wall. Like, he, he did really good up until the, until the garbage. If it wasn't for you pesky Syracuse detectives, I would have gotten away with it. If it wasn't for you pesky chief housekeeper <laughs> at the goddamn hotel, I would have gotten away Best with it. Best detective in this story. <laughs> yes. Don't fuck with your housemates. No. Just say that. No. Two problems here, however. The front desk received a call from room 743 during the time Gray would have been in New York murdering, 
and the room was lived in and slept in, obviously, during that time as well. Mm. So who was there? Mm. Interesting. I don't know. Obviously, it was part of the plan. Someone with nice underwear, perhaps. Mm. It was time for Gray to be transferred to the Jamaica precinct. Detectives came and collected him from the front steps of the Syracuse police station and walked him to the train station. He was surprised to see a swarm of photographers rushing towards him to take pictures. Any New York paper that it publishes my picture in connection with this will be sued for libel. Mm, do okay. you, libel. So there's two things. Libel is basically slander, but it's it's published. It's written. Gotcha. It's published. I didn't think slander you could go is spoken. After him. I didn't think he could go after him unless they're telling like blatant lies. lies. Well, that's what he's trying to say. Is that? Mm. <laughs> Syracuse police chief gave a press conference after Gray was walked away and said, I've been in police work for over 20 years, and if that man is guilty, he's the calmest individual I've ever came across. That's pretty good. I mean, when you're selling underwear, dude, you gotta be, have nerves of steel. Yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be Iceman from Top Gun for sure. (laughs) Gray and his captors had a private car on the train, and reporters crowded outside the closed doors. Gray was making the detectives damn near piss themselves, telling stories about the ladies' underwear business. Detective McDermott was leading the questioning, and Gray would only refer to him as Mac. In return, Mac called him Judd. (laughs) Near the end of the ride, Mac threw a quick left when he said, Judd, you know we have the contents of your garbage can. Gray dropped his jovial demeanor and grew very serious. Mac, what's in the basket? The reporters peering through the cracks in the door noticed the carefree and confident persona was completely erased. One would ask McDermott, when he left the car for a break, what had caused the shift. Because he smiled his last. Yeah. When they pulled into the final stop on the trip, McDermott threw the overhand right. Do you know, Judd, that we have the ticket that you came back to Syracuse on? Well, gentlemen... I was in that house last night. Yeah, he changed his goddamn tracks on a dime. (laughs) Yeah, I love that they slow rolled him through the entire train trip, too. Just not even dropping the hammer on him until (laughs) just letting him talk, letting him him gas himself up. Sometimes you just got to wait for that perfect moment to to get him, get him God. It's got to feel good. It's got to feel like when Canelo broke Billy Joe Saunders' face. (laughs) It has to feel that good. Uh, He broke his face? (laughs) Yeah. He crushed his orbital bone, and his fucking eyeball was about to fall down into his cheek. Ooh, that's not fun. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. But I bet it felt great. It's like when you hit the bag perfectly. I bet mm. I, I bet it feels great. <laughs> Ruth and Albert never should have been together. Albert Snyder was in no place to be in a relationship. When he was in his early 20s, he met and fell hard for a brilliant young woman named Jessie Guichard. Year after year, the two circled each other in a will-they-won't-they type relationship. Although never formally engaged, Albert Snyder was at Jessie's bedside and was the only one she wanted holding her hand as she passed away from pneumonia at the age of 30 in 1912. Oh, that's really sad. Snyder never recovered from the loss. He held tight to his scrapbooks with meticulously dated photos of his love and wore a pendant every day for the rest of his life that was inscribed J.G. After about a year, he decided he had to move on, even though he couldn't get over it. Albert landed himself a job at Motorboat Monthly. Another year later, he hit the single scene, which is where he met up with Ruth Brown, a secretary who claimed to be 19, but was actually 23. Ooh, okay, is 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but Motorboat Monthly is like a MILF magazine, yeah, right? it's about motorboat and titties. <laughs> yeah. No, it's literally about motorboats. Ah, you can't whack off to that. 19, uh, whatever, 1915, I guess motorboats were probably about yeah. the coolest thing you could ever think of back then. <laughs> true. Very true. And it's the coolest thing I can think of now, but in between them titties. <laughs> they had an early 20th century meat cute. One morning, a phone call was misdirected to Albert's desk at Motorboat Monthly, and he flipped the fuck out on the operator and slammed the phone down. He immediately felt bad for going off and called the operator back to apologize. By the end of the call, he'd convinced her to come apply for a job at Hearst Publications, Motorboat's parent company. Wow, okay. Yeah, it was a Hearst magazine. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah, man. Hearst, yeah. what a dirtbag. I hate her so fucking much. <laughs> Uh, how did he get mad? He flipped, he freaked out on He's like, you want me to cut your fucking face with a propeller blade? Don't yeah. ever do that again. Yeah. How dare you try and forward a call to me? That's, <laughs> that call's not for me. I know how he feels. I hate when my phone rings. <laughs> Ruth grew up poor and sickly. At the age of six, she underwent intestinal surgery. At nine, she had severe sunstroke. And at 12, she underwent a botched appendectomy that left her in severe and constant pain until she was 18 and underwent another horror show surgery to correct it. She couldn't do sports because her frailness caused her to faint easily, a condition she blamed on epilepsy inherited from her father. Mm, but it wasn't proven that she had it? Not really, no. Okay. No. All right. Even though she was in awful health, she still turned out to be a real head-turner. Tall, slim, blonde, high cheekbones, and piercing blue eyes. Sounds like me, to be honest. <laughs> you have high cheekbones? I don't think so. I think I have round cheekbones. I've never once looked at a lady and been like, Look at them cheekbones. God, those fucking cheek, yeah. cheek, cheekbones do it for me. Yeah, never. No. Never once. Mm. Well, 1915 for you. <laughs> she loved teasing the boys on the dance floor. She would never do anything dirty, and it was during this phase in her life when she accidentally directed that call to Albert. And by the end of that afternoon, she was working in the proofread and copyist pool for Hearst Publications, specifically Motorboat Monthly. So this got her a promotion. It's got her, oh, this got her out of the operator's desk and into the typing pool, which was actually like double pay. Oh, okay. That's good. I mean, she's going from... Spilling her cigarettes in the operator's room to spilling her cigarettes on a typewriter. Exactly. So there you go. Yeah. And and you... she doesn't have to move all those cords around right, anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. On her first day on the job, Albert sexually harassed her, sneaking up behind her, playing with her hair, and inviting her out to the Kit Kat ball. This was way too forward for Ruth, so she declined. He countered with lunch, and she accepted. What the fuck is a Kit Kat ball? Kit, Kit Kat. Kit, Kit Kat, Kat. Like the candy. Yeah, like a candy. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a raunchy. Uh, uh, like a dance at a speakeasy, you know, Ooh, you're jitterbugging around the place, that... drink, drinking highballs and stuff. I don't know how you're speaking hipster right now, but I like it. Jitterbug. That's a 19. That's a, that's what the flappers did. <laughs> jitterbugging. Yeah. You okay. know what the flappers are? They're Kinda. the ladies that have like the bob haircuts and the little ha funny hats and they're doing the dances all over the place, drinking champagne and stuff. Those are jitterbugs. Those are jitterbugs. Okay. Interesting. Absolutely. You need to watch more. Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed. There's only one scene I remember from Boardwalk Empire, and that's when his brother like betrays him, and he mm. comes out, and he's like, you cut everybody up. <laughs> like, dude, me and Nick did that to each other for so long. <laughs> this is like the stupidest fucking thing. 
He literally does that in the show. Yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah, that's real dumb. <laughs> His sexual advances became an in-joke between the two. She would always turn him down, but that only made Albert respect her more and even crazier about her. On Christmas 1914, Snyder proposed, and Ruth said no. So on her quote-unquote 20th birthday, which was actually her 24th birthday, in March 1915, Albert showed up with a box of chocolates, which visibly disappointed the girl. But when she opened it, there was a smaller ring box inside. Oh, that is romantic there, Albert. That did the trick. Mm. And on the 24th of July, 1915, the two would marry in the Brown family apartment. Refreshments included cold salad, sandwiches, cake, and coffee prepared by Ruth and her mother. Ruth was on her period and absolutely miserable with pain, which was another terrible byproduct of her several uh, abdominal surgeries. And that made Ralph furious. Who's Ralph? <laughs> Who the fuck is Ralph? I don't know. There's not a Ralph in this whole thing. I love it, though. And that made Albert furious, so he went and stayed at his parents for the night. Oh, that's a bit dramatic. <laughs> On his wedding night. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to go steal my mom. What a little bitch. Yes, oh my he is God. a little fucking bitch. You almost don't even mind that he gets garroted by a picture frame. <laughs> no, what an asshole. Now that they were happily married, the fun courtship days of theaters and restaurants were over. Albert wanted to get back to his favorite things, motorboating, fishing, and not leaving his workshop or garage for the entire weekend, only seeing Ruth at mealtimes. I mean, that's old-timey husband activity right there. You go hide so you don't hit your children or wife, because <laughs> <laughs> you're full of fucking old rage. Ah, oh, that's a scary reality. Yes. Albert wanted to spend all his free time on the water, and the only time him and his wife actually got away together was on his 30-foot cabin cruiser outfitted for long voyages on the open sea. The boat was still named Jesse G. when Ruth and Albert got married, oh my. and Ruth rightly made him rechristen it Ruth. It was still named after his ex-love. <laughs> you know what? Look. I know mental health wasn't a thing, but oh, this guy needs he grief needs counseling <laughs> yes. or something yes. very badly. Yes. He's, He's just sh- like jumping into a new relationship to try to heal the pain of the other girl that he really loved or yep. whatever. Of the dead relationship. And oh gentlemen, let this be a lesson. Shit or get off the fucking pot. Like, don't dance around a girl for 10 years. If you like her, uh, declare your fucking intentions so that way you, she doesn't die of pneumonia. <laughs> and even if she does, at least you'll know either yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the 1920s version of the notebook, basically. That's exactly mm. it. That's exactly it. Never got a motorboater. Never. Not a single time. <laughs> he never motorboated Jesse Guichard. <laughs> Another thing the couple never got around to talking about before they got married was the subject of kids. Albert wasn't sure he wanted them. Meanwhile, Ruth had been planning on raising a huge family since she was a little girl. Ruth, because of her medical maladies, was currently unable to bear a child, but after their second anniversary, she got herself a secret surgery to fix the problem. Ooh, nothing like a secret surgery. Gotta love those secret <laughs> surgeries. Now when people have secret surgeries, they just start looking like a fucking Ken doll. <sighs> oh, <laughs> or a Barbie doll. Ugh, gross. So many, like... Eva Lovia, we used to follow her on Snapchat all the time. She's a very good-looking girl. Mm. 
Now she's like, she turned 25 and became nothing but plastic, despite the fact she was like the most beautiful thing I've ever really? seen. Really? Oh, I yeah. have not seen that. I'm going to have to look this up. I have not seen this. It's too bad. Very soon, Ruth became pregnant and Albert fell into a depression. He pulled himself out of it by thinking about if he had a son and how he could hang out with him and pass on his interest in motorboating. When his daughter Lorraine was born, Albert was apoplectic. It only got worse as Lorraine was born sickly and ill-tempered, screeching at the top of her lungs. Uh, Life wasn't all peaches and guacamole with Albert. Is that a good combo? It, it, it's from uh, Dr. Steve Brule. Look up mm. Brule's Rules okay. uh, Sushi. It's fucking so funny. <laughs> okay. He was a snappy, angry, neat freak. He would red-faced yell at baby Lorraine for normal childhood things, and at Ruth if things weren't done and put away exactly to his liking. Ruth was an expert housemaker and ran the family finances. Albert made $150 a week, of which he gave $85 to Ruth for the household budget. According to all accounts, she made that money stretch. She never shopped at retail stores, instead making friends with sales reps who would sell to acquaintances at wholesale prices. Wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Okay. And she's pretty, and, and it seems like guys just... They just want to do. They want to do her favors because nice she's thing. so pretty. Yeah. Well, could could be because she's charismatic too. Definitely, you, know, you got to have Definitely. that as well. Yeah. Um. Here's the other thing. When you were saying Albert was yelling at the baby, all I can think about is that Family Guy where the baby's crying, and I think Brian's like, <laughs> and the baby like stops crying. I don't think that works. <laughs> But it always seems like a fun activity. You can surprise to try. the hell out of them, and they'll stop <laughs> yeah. for a second, but then they'll cry harder. <laughs> Albert's father died in 1917, the same year Lorraine was born, and his mother died two years later, followed by Mrs. Snyder's father in 1920. Since the couple were down three-quarters of their parents, they decided to move Ruth's mother, Grandma Brown, into the spare bedroom. This was great for Ruth, as it gave her friendship she wasn't getting from her husband, as well as some help around the house, and Albert liked it because it kept Ruth out of his hair. Why are you married to her? He hates women, I think. Like, he hates women so much. <laughs> Unless it's that one girl. Jesse G. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't like Ruth. He doesn't like a kid. Why, what are you doing, Albert? <sighs> Not dealing with his mental health. Because yeah. it didn't exist back then. There was no such thing as mental health. You just got demons in the noggin yeah. here. You just got to masturbate more. <laughs> At the absolute best of times, there was an uneasy peace between Albert and Ruth. Albert's temper, which was always short, became explosive and violent. When a neighborhood boy sent a baseball sailing through the Snyder's window, Albert chased him down the street and right into the boy's own living room before beating him within an inch of his life. Ah, uh, that's pretty extreme anger there. His Holy parents were in there shit. too, and they were just like, uh... <laughs> Can you keep quiet in there or watching them or listening to our tunes on the radio? Shut up in there. <laughs> One day, in a terrible mood already, Lorraine refused to eat her oatmeal, so Snyder sprinted up the stairs yelling that he was going to shoot himself with his pistol. Jesus. Lorraine, fucking terrified at the proposal, ran up the stairs after her dad and hugged him, which seemed to snap him back to his senses. <laughs> Jesus. This guy's like a millennial. I'm in the making blow here. my fucking head off. You won't eat your oatmeal. <laughs> He's a millennial parrot. Yeah. If you don't eat this fucking peas and carrots, I'm going to blow my fucking head off. Well, I hope Lorraine ate her oatmeal after yeah. that. Yeah. 
I would hope so. <laughs> Sales of Quaker would go through the roof if Albert was selling them instead of motorboats. On a rare, rare evening, when Albert agreed to take his wife to a restaurant, he got in a yelling match with the waiter, and with a sweep of his forearm, he sent plates, bottles, glasses, food, and silverware scattering across mm. the entire restaurant. So he's like a fucking Karen. Holy shit. He's a baby millennial Karen. Yeah, It's the worst. Fuck. He's got the worst of everything. I felt bad at first. Now he's like, fucking, what an asshole. He's a cunt. To make things even weirder and more tense for the couple, their house was practically a shrine to Jesse Guichard, with his prized possession <laughs> being a big framed formal picture of Jesse hanging on the bedroom wall. Every other time Ruth and Albert argued, he would invariably bring up how Jesse wouldn't have treated him this way. Oh my god, what a fucking incel. <laughs> God. <laughs> Holy shit. The couple's bedroom activities were non-existent, and one day Al's co-workers noticed Mrs. Snyder's picture was gone from his desk and would never return. Albert then decided to add accelerant to his out-of-control temper by becoming an everyday drinker. He made his own beer and wine in the cellar and would drink bootleg whiskey constantly. Since it was prohibition, all of his friends were also fall-down drunks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the 1920s in America, divorce was starting to become a mainstream thing. Certainly still frowned upon, but no woman was legally forced to live with a man if the love was gone. But Ruth wanted the triple crown, divorce, alimony, and full custody. To accomplish this, she would have to prove adultery or cruelty. Well, it seems I got the second one. Well, Albert wasn't afraid to show his wife the back of his hand, but in the 20s, that didn't count as cruelty. You had to do some really heinous shit to get that one. But the adultery was possible. Her husband came home late and dressed to the nines almost every Wednesday. And once, while doing laundry, Ruth found a pair of matinee tickets to the theater in his pocket, which sent her into a tizzy considering Al t stopped taking her places the second he put a ring on it. Remember? Okay, think of this now, everybody out there. This is... The matinee tickets are comparable to modern-day finding nudes... On yes. your partner's yes, phone. Yes, absolutely. Fucking matinee tickets? You're not kidding, especially when he refuses to go to the theater mm. with you, but he'll take some fucking floozy from work? Right. You fucking dickhead. <laughs> Albert could, of course, be framed for cheating, and Mrs. Snyder was an expert in this area. Her and her BFF slash cousin, Ethel Pearson, were constantly planning schemes to get Ethel out of her loveless marriage, but Ruth would never go through with them. So Eth Ethel's sneaky. Ethel's are she's the Ethel Anderson now. She okay. was Ethel Pearson married to that patrolman, but they <laughs> she got out of that marriage. She framed his ass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't fuck with Ethel unless mm -hmm. you know what you're signing up for. Same with Ethel alcohol. It's mm -hmm. both of them. <laughs> Don't do them. Ruth was pretty run down after 10 years of dealing with Al. She suffered fainting spells, heart palpitations, hot flashes, headaches, and abdominal pain. Her periods were in absolute misery, and still, she suffered on. Sometime in June 1925, Mrs. Snyder and her hairdresser, Kitty Kaufman, were having lunch in the city when a certain luxury ladies' underwear salesman Ooh. in charge of the upstate region walked through the doors and struck up a conversation. H. Judd Gray grew up a bougie rich kid. He was a direct descendant of passengers aboard the 1630 voyage of the immigrant ship Mary and John from England. That ship was a 400-ton passenger ship that made multiple 
well, four journeys between England and America bringing, uh, bringing the settlers, the, oh. uh, the religious settlers of the time. <laughs> I suppose Mary and John is fitting then. Yes. Okay. And these were all the, you know, all the people that were too extreme for England at the time, <laughs> religiously. That is pretty extreme. Yeah. His father owned a jewelry manufacturing firm in downtown Newark, and his mother was from a rich family. Her father amassed his fortune selling ladies' underwear, something his grandson would be quite good at in the future. <laughs> I didn't know that could be a lineage. I guess so. Multiple yeah. generations of selling women's underwear. Honestly, that's why, like, bras, that's the only reason they exist is because men invented them. Mm. That shit's not natural. Keep, I mean, keep your shit all jammed up all the yeah, time. Yeah, but you got to remember the real. I'm pretty sure the real purpose of bras are support. No, men made that up. It's to push the boobies and make them look bigger. Are you sure? Because there's absolutely a lot of... sure. Okay. They, there are bras now mm. made by women with support in mind, mm. but uh, in the beginning, that was men only. Men only. I, th- I think, depending on uh, the lady's bust, too big of breasts really does a number on your back. Definitely. Mm. You need a little support in there. You need to, or you got to get them taken out. Or what if reduced. the what if the roles were reversed eventually? And women invented little ball bras and told the men we needed them for comfort or needed them for support. Anything to get these fuckers out of the way <laughs> would be fine. The me undies are great because they have that ball pouch diamond. Ball pouch. It's like a part that's bigger that sticks out where your pee-pee mm. and balls are. <laughs> it's good. The pee-pee and balls. The pee-pee, pee-pee, and, pee-pee balls. and balls pouch. <laughs> We're going to make bumble butt underwear the pee-pee and balls pouch. <laughs> And the JJ <laughs> lining. JJ pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the childhood of Ruth Snyder, Gray was sickly as a youngster. When he was 11 or 12, he suffered a case of pneumonia that looked like it was about to go terminal and left him as an invalid for several months. He also got hit in the face with pocket sand as a boy, and it left him partially blind in one eye for the rest of his Ooh, life. Jesus. It wasn't all illness and blindness for the little rich boy. H. Judd Gray had three main themes to his childhood. First, he was ultra-religious. Second, he worshipped his mother and older sister. Third, he really wanted to fit in with the boys. Mm, Sounds like Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) At ten, he became an errand boy for a group of teenagers just so he could hang around them. At his fancy school in Newark... Gray hung around with the sports teams and frat activities because these brought him in close contact with... The type of lads I wanted to meet. Yeah. Hey, fake it till you make it. Mm. By the time he finished school, Gray was president of his fraternity, chairman of the dance committee, manager of the basketball team, and despite his small frame and poor eyesight, became QB1 for the football team. Okay, I'm going to take this back one second because... Quarterbacks at this time had one job. Pass, or Give, hand it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ball. It was soccer, but you used your hands back Do you know then. how great Christian Bonder would have been if he played? We've seen his highlight the, reel. In 1930s. We've seen his uh, eye back up the gut reel. Yeah, yeah, he just hand the ball off left, hand the ball off right, hand the ball off up the middle. Fuck, this guy's good at handing off. Oh, he's gr- what a great QB. <laughs> good job, Christian Bonder. You're the best wherever you are. <laughs> I hope you're still alive. I would rather have him than goddamn cousins. <laughs> I know, right? He's a lot cheaper. After school, Gray went to work for his father's jewelry firm, starting in the grinding room and working his way up to traveling salesman. He felt like he was suffocating. 
In the jewelry business, there was no room for socializing or drinking or schmoozing clients. He switched to corsets and hosiery, where whining and dining was not only allowed, but expected. He barely saw his wife and daughter as he was constantly traveling, and his wife resented him for it. The truth is, Gray was deeply in love with another woman. H. Judd Gray sat down at the table with Ruth Snyder and her hairdresser, Kitty Kaufman, and quite a few highballs were thrown down the hatch. Ruth and Judd hit it off so well that they stayed behind for another drink when Kitty announced that she had another client waiting at the salon. Uh, I need to ask, what is in a highball? Ginger ale and uh, maybe gin. Okay, yeah. all right. So it tastes like, because ginger ale's good. Yeah. Gin's gross. Yes. So fish oil with ginger ale. I don't know, soybeans, that's what it is, right? Gin tastes like pine trees. Pine trees, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I hate fucking gin. <laughs> I've only drank it once. I took one big hit off a Tanqueray bottle, and I was like, that's... Nasty. You, what is Snoop Dogg talking about? That's the worst thing I've ever had. Do you remember those fish oil capsules they trick people into taking? I take them every day. Do you? Do yeah. you crack one open and taste Oh, I've done it. Yeah, I've accidentally bit into one before, yeah. That reminds me of gin. I don't know mm. why. I don't know why. I take my, vish, my fish oil and my vitamin D every day. Okay. What's a fish oil? Lubricate your poops? Yep. Makes your poop. No. No, that's not what it does. It's good for your uh, uh, heart and stuff. Okay. Your omega acid fatty Mm, threes. Gotcha. At 4 p.m., the lunch came to a forced close as Gray had an appointment. Ruth gave him her number just in case he wanted to take her a lunch again while he was in town. Gray called her the next day and asked her to please write to him while he was on the road. That's so cute. That is very cute. Gray returned to New York City in late July and couldn't wait to see Mrs. Snyder again. They both ended up at a nightclub dinner party together with some associates of Gray's in the corset industry. The drinks flowed freely, and when they left for Penn Station, Gray convinced Ruth to stop at his office. It was empty. They fucked. Ooh, you fucking naughty people. Ooh. You premarital sex. And, and that, well married, both of them. And having adulterous <sighs> affair. Both this of them with so children naughty. as well. Yeah, this Ooh, is hot. And they're drinking. Oh, it's hot. That's illegal. There's Ooh. so much illegal going on here. <laughs> it was a release of built-up, unfulfilled frustrations for both parties. Gray, who with his wife, mother, sister, and mother-in-law was suffocated with stuffy, bougie women, found something wholly exciting in the hard-drinking, almost cheap and tawdry Ruth Snyder. And she found in him someone who listened to her, bought her flowers, and initiated sex with loving caresses instead of forceful, bumbling gropes. I could see why she would be into that. He's a little sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. His nicknames for her were troubling, considering the closest to his mother. They were Momsy, Mommy, (laughs) or Momie, and hers for him was a way more subdued Bud. Bud. If you'll remember, they found a Bud stationery in the hotel room. The two were inseparable. Whenever he could, Gray stayed in New York for business, and Mrs. Snyder would make an excuse about going out with friends to Albert to go be with him. Okay, here's the thing. We need to be careful because if a lady was referred to their man as daddy, okay? Which is still kind of weird. I mean, to you and I it is, yeah. but if they're ca- he's calling her mommy, I mean, it's, it's along the same lines, I right? picture the guy in the diaper, though. The old, the forty year old man playing diaper <laughs> diaper games. Is that weird? <laughs> Not to you and I, but 
I always show up to a first day with my diaper on, <laughs> just a, in case a, the magic happens. And my nunny, my nookie. Dude, I would love if someone just did that for a joke. Like, get all the way to the point of that, and then just, like, pull your pants on, you have a huge diaper on. Great. Like, all right, I'm ready. That's some good Tinder. That would be a good Tinder, Tinder thing to do. Trolling right yeah. there. I think you'd just be a psychopath. I think so. I think so. They met up at the Imperial Hotel, the Waldorf Astoria, and a number of other fancy hotels across town. If Ruth's mother was on a nursing job and unable to babysit Lorraine, she would take the kid with and just let her hang out in the lobby while Gray and Ruth went upstairs and did the nasty. Doesn't seem safe. No. On Thursday nights, which were Albert's bowling nights... Gray and Ruth would talk on the phone the whole time Al was gone. God, Sounds so romantic, naughty. though, right? I, it is. It is. Soon the pair got sloppy, and Ruth and Gray were seen around Queens Village dining and laughing together. They wrote to each other like maniacs. Gray would give Ruth his route list, and Ruth would send two or three letters to each hotel on the route. She even pulled the mailman aside and instructed him to only hand-deliver letters addressed to Mrs. Jane Gray, directly to her that's uh moving kind of fast there i would say Mm. in september 1925 the tension between ruth and albert hit a new high she knew she could grit her teeth and continue being married to al but she wanted lorraine out of the house and in a good convent school al absolutely refused ranting and raving he said there was no goddamn way he would send his daughter away from the house After the argument, Ruth suddenly got interested in insurance. She couldn't believe her husband only had a $1,000 policy. Here's what's confusing. He doesn't even like his daughter. Why does he care? Power. Control. He's the man. He makes the decisions here. Not, Not you stupid little blonde lady. True. Very true. One day, while the prudential life insurance agent was making his monthly rounds collecting payments, Ruth pulled him in and the pair hatched a scheme for him to come back that evening and double-team Al into upping his coverage. Ooh, I wish this is how insurance people did it now. It is pretty much, isn't they it? They trap you in a room? <laughs> I think so. And convince you you need more coverage? That evening, things went just according to Keikaku. Mr. Snyder took out another $1,000 in life insurance and signed a blank policy sheet saying he would consider buying more insurance at a later date but he didn't want to be bothered mm. for a signature. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's so dumb. He's probably shit-faced, too, when yes. they're doing this. And his, he's just trying to get this insurance. He probably just wants to get back to his garage and work <laughs> on his motorboat. The very next morning, Ruth called the insurance agent and said her husband thought quickly and decided on either a $25,000 or $50,000 policy with her as beneficiary as well as double indemnity to cover, to cover death by misadventure. At no point was the actual legal $1,000 extra policy ever discussed. Mm. The greedy little agent pushed through the $50,000 policy and even had to trace Albert's signature on two more forms to make it official. It seems illegal. It very. <laughs> he was under strict instruction from Ruth to never let Al know of this. Once again, she took aside the mailman and told him, like with the Mrs. Jean Grey letters, to deliver prudential mail to her hands only. Sneaky. None the wiser, Albert walked down to the Prudential office and passed his physical with flying colors, having absolutely no clue that this wasn't for a $1,000 policy and was in fact for 50000 and double that if he died by mysterious causes. It does sound kind of fun to die of misadventure. Yeah. Like what? Like you're Laura Croft. 
she dies by misadventure in that game so violently. Yeah, I know. And like she gets attacked by gorillas, cats. Um, what else? What are the other enemies she trees? Fight? Trees. It's a lot of misadventure Rocks. right there. I've yeah. seen her get smushed by stuff before. <laughs> What's the way you want to die of misadventure? Uh, seven forty-seven in the back of the head. Yeah, that was your dream one there. Yeah, that's. A, I that don't know if that was... counts as misadventure. That might just be tragedy. <laughs> you know, that could be. I think that's like plane crash. <laughs> I think the insurance would have to cover that if I got hit I by would a crashing so. plane, or at least the airplane company would probably have to pay yeah. your whoever uh some of that money as well i would hope so yeah you'd think you'd assume so but uh unless the insurance agent somehow convinces a judge that i didn't have my blinker on and that's why i got hit by the plane they'll try that you yeah. bet your ass they're gonna try that <laughs> but no adam excellent awesome well don't thank me thank kelly i never heard of this before really she said she heard about it in a pop-up book that she had when she was a little kid about okay. murders yeah i could i could see this being fun for a little kid yeah there. fun for the whole family maybe it's from the point of view of lorraine Oh, and like that's more appealing to children mommy and daddy are uh, drinking and fighting again so far um you have made it in your presentation how uh you know we don't like any of these characters yeah i, I don't yeah i kind of hate them all hell yeah but even well lorraine she she's i mean she didn't do shit she she's kind of pissed me off because she didn't eat her oatmeal yeah. but yeah give her a pass and her dad reacted just perfectly to that situation and I'm assuming next week we are going to hear the delightful conclusion. Oh, next of the week we are going to hear the delightful conclusion. We're going to court. We're going to uncover some more funny things like the oatmeal suicide. Because I, I got to tell you, when I read that, I was laughing my fucking ass yeah, off. Yeah, it's because you're a millennial. Holy shit. And you're not going to eat your oatmeal? Fine. I'm going to fucking shoot myself. <laughs> you want daddy to go blow his brains out? <laughs> eat that fucking oatmeal. <laughs> You know how many moms who listen to this are going to try that on their kids now? Well, go for it. Hey, <laughs> tell them tell them we sent you. <laughs> tell the police we sent you. Oh, God, fantastic. <laughs> We're going to have our own Hulu show now. <laughs> Fake suicide attempts. Threatening children to get to eat their carrots. <laughs> this is excellent. Fake Honestly. suicide attempts caught on tape. We'll get Susan Slaughter in there to... Oh, to, my. To, to you know what? I've them. threatened my children several times. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's terrible. I, I hate, hate her. her. Yeah, I hate her. Ugh. She's like the... The Sympathy Olympics champion. It's yeah. so pathetic. Wow. Yeah. Well, fantastic. If you like us and hate Susan, give us a, a form response at bumblebuttpodcast.com. It comes to us just like an email. We'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll talk about it on the show. Oh, yeah. Another way to help us is leave a five-star review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind so much. I don't. We don't have any this week, but we did get some numbered ones. We did. Thank yeah. you, mystery people, for doing that. Appreciate that. And bop that follow button on Spotify. We need you to follow us. Join the Zanku Spotify revolution. Another thing that you need to do is uh, join the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. Join at any level, I'm telling you. The bumblebutt. The uh, Pokemon cards are fucking amazing. And I see them pop up on Instagram all the time. Mm. People take pictures of them. I go, wow, wow, wee, wow. That's some good merchandise. We're gearing up. For the uh, new card, what do you got? Two weeks. Perfect, yeah. And we're going to have that bad boy. So get in, you know, and mm -hmm. maybe get in near month's end, and who knows, maybe uh, 
you'll be lucky and you might get a bonus one or something. Right. Who knows? Sometimes I do that if I'm feeling generous. That's what I'm saying. I've seen them pop up on mm-hmm. the IG before. It's a, uh, it's a nice addition. Just join, you know? Just join. You yeah, know? Fuck Just it. join. YOLO. YOLO swag 420. Do it or I'm going to go fucking kill myself. Do you want Cody to kill himself? Do you want him to blow his head off? Over the oatmeal of you not joining Patreon. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be like those guys in white lab coats busting through my door yep. trying to wrangle me and take me yep. to a mental institution. They're going to say, we, we've got it confirmed by like 800 uh, people that you're suicidal. <laughs> we only needed three, but we got 800. I'm just doing the Albert technique. That's it. It's <laughs> called the Albert yeah. Schneider technique. The Albert Schneider oatmeal plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. My name has been Adam. Thank you very much. That's been Cody. Thank you very much, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Awesome, guys. And as always, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Bye.